All right. Well, let's pray. Uh, Father Almighty, thank you so much that we're able to be here together, God, and that you have created such a large family uh, that we've spanned so far. And uh, yet, uh, Father, as soon as we'd, uh, we're together, we realize how, how close we actually are. And, and it's uh, great to be with my family here in the Bronx. Uh, I, I pray, God, that you are able to be able to uh, let me speak what you want to speak, that I can, uh, Father, be able to uh, direct the way you want uh, direction to go and, uh, and really just put things in our minds and hearts uh, so that we could better serve you, God. Uh, we love you. We thank you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm in the Bronx. I mean, how cool is that? I'm in the Bronx. It's like I even feel cooler, you know? Like, like, I didn't know I was so cool until I came to the Bronx, and uh, I guess I am pretty cool. And uh, I mean, I used to look like Brad Pitt, and now I don't. And uh, but at least I, I could have the Bronx, right? Uh, a little bit about us, you know. We, um, uh, my wife and I, we like Marie said, we've been married 20 years. Uh, you know, we. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. We have kind of a unique background where both of our parents are uh, from Mexico, so we're first generation people here, uh, you know, and, and uh, that, like many of you guys know, that definitely creates a very you know, just unique experience in the world. Uh, you're bicultural, and, uh, and that's what I love about visiting here in the Bronx, you know, because uh, everybody I talk to, it's like, uh, you know, including myself, it's like no one in this room looks like what they are, you know, it's... Um, and, uh, and I love that. I love the diversity that God brings. And I'm going to get in touch with that a little bit more here in a second. I want to show a picture of my kids because they're not here. But uh, those are my boys right there. I mean, those are my boys. So that's Ezra. He's uh, in middle school over there on the, uh, on the right. You're right. Uh, you can tell who the baby is. Seth, not just because he's smaller, but just he's got that typical third child attitude. And then, you know, Jonah, right over there. My boys are, I mean, it's funny. They don't, they're, they're just so different, but so incredible. And I, I can't tell you how grateful I am that they get to experience life in the church. And I'll, once again, I'll get to that later. Uh, my wife, of course, uh, you know, we met in the campus ministry. We got married. She didn't want to marry me for a while. She didn't want to date me for a while. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're going to miss out on. Because I am, you know, she's always loved Bruce Lee. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm like Bruce Lee in a seal outfit. Uh, anyways. All right. I also heard here in the Bronx, you guys are like hardcore people. That you like it real. Right? You guys like it real. You know, I thought I was like that. I remember one time I'm talking to my wife and I'm maybe not feeling as thin. And uh, I just tell her, I'm like, look, you need to motivate me to get to the gym and to eat right. And so the way I want you to motivate me from now on is you, you need to tell me I'm fat. And she goes, What? And I said, yeah, I need you to say it, and I need you to say it just like that. And, you know, and she goes, I'm not going to say that. And I go, no, you need to say that. I need you to say that. 
And she goes, I'm not going to say that. Listen, do you want to help me? You need to say that. And she goes, all right, you're fat. And I'm like, not like that. I mean, you are one cold woman. Clearly, you didn't know what I meant. So now that I've realized I'm a little more sensitive than I thought, you know, the whole thought about being real and and definitely I want to be direct and as plain as possible. Uh, But I also think sometimes being real is talking about reality and talking about what is real and not just being hardcore for the sake of being hardcore, but it's about being it's about talking about reality and being in touch with reality and what is real. You know, sometimes you try to convey things to people. You buy something. And it's something really cool and it's probably something expensive. And so you're trying to convince somebody why you paid so much for it. So let's say I bought a TV and I come home and my wife says, what is this box? It's a TV. But you've never seen a TV like this. And so you're trying to explain all the features and why it makes it so cool. You know, and at the end of the day, she's looking at me. is like, it's a TV, right? Like, okay, you clearly don't understand what I just bought. You know, I'll buy a, buy, you know, for us that have internet, you know, we buy routers. And those of you techie people, you, people, you know, you, you buy something and you're just trying to convince why you bought it. What makes it so awesome? What makes it so special? And the thing you hate is when people are looking at you and they're like, I just don't get it. And like, yeah, that's right. You don't get it. That's the problem with you is you don't get it. But the Bible tries to convey things to us that are real. Things that are incredible. Things that are awesome. On a continual basis. And we're going to be reading in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1. And it says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly uh, in verse 4 now. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations, and it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which, has, which for ages has uh, passed was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. 
I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people, holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, Paul starts off with a little bit about himself and refers to him as I, Paul, the prisoner. And talking about what his situation is because of the gospel. He refers to him himself again, eventually as the least of all people in God's church because he persecuted the church. And so he has a certain view of himself. Now, he's not doing that just to put himself down. He's doing that to set up how incredible he thinks God and his workings are. And so he's saying that me, the least of all people in something I persecuted, I now get to be a part of. And it's an incredible thing. And so chapter 3, he's just trying to convey how incredible it all really is. And he talks about the mystery that God was going to include all people together. That it was no longer going to be just a, a Jewish religion or a Jewish sect. But that what God had in mind from the very beginning was to include everybody. Even though it was just hidden from people and not everybody understood. But that somehow these people were going to be able to come together and get along. And the divide between Jews and Gentiles was so vast that it's hard for us to imagine I mean, I don't know about you guys, but you know, I don't know if your mom ever told you, you never hang out with that person. You, you better never hang out with that kid. Right? You know, in my family, it was, uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up Catholic. I was actually agnostic. But my grandmother, she used to actually tell my mom that when you walk on the street of the, uh, when you walk on the street or the sidewalk of the Protestants, make sure you spit on the sidewalk. I mean, that exists. That exists. I could say that because I know my mom's not going to listen to this lesson, right? It's awesome being away. She's hardcore, let me tell you. And so you have this strong divide and that somehow these people are going to work together. Somehow they're going to be together. You know, there's, that's what God likes to do. He likes to make people come together that shouldn't be together. You know, you think about marriage, and marriage is one of those things where you, you just really wonder how it works. Because I, I remember my wife, the first time, I grew up with three brothers, so it was four boys. I have three boys. Uh, I mean, the only, I, I didn't experience a lot of female presence in my life, aside from my mom. So, when I got married, I remember... The first time my wife laughed and cried at the same time. 
just stood quiet like, what do I do? Because if I laugh, you're still crying. And that gets me in a lot of trouble right there. But if I sympathize with you, you may look at me like, what are you doing? And so I actually just had to ask her, okay, so in this situation, you're just going to tell me, what do I do? Is that, hey, I did it right. All right, I like that. Nothing like confirmation. But, you know, it's one of those things. It's, we're so different. We're so different, and yet God makes it work. And I didn't understand how different we were until we got married and the things that matter to her and, and the things that are important to her. But yet somehow God makes it work. But it's still nothing like God's church where vastly different people can come together under one purpose, under one promise, have one mission. To show you how big of a deal God thinks this is and what Paul is trying to say is he says what you guys are and the ability to be together from all these different backgrounds and, and people that should actually hate each other. Let me tell you. It causes a testimony to be given to the heavenly realms. That is something that blows them away. I mean, we start thinking it's a small thing after a while. You know, we invite our friends and we're like, man, you need to check out this place. It's really diverse and you're going to see some really, you know, you're going to see some people together that shouldn't be together. But in the end of the day, we, we really don't understand how big of a deal that really is. You know, I'm just going to go out and say it, you know. The church is a place where Republicans and Democrats can worship together. I, honestly, these days and age, I don't even think race is the big deal anymore. It's if you're a Republican or a Democrat and you could actually be together and get along and study the Bible with people together, you know what I mean? You know, um, that's a miracle nowadays. And it should be that way. You know, God salvages people and broken people and, and, and a church that shouldn't be a bunch of imperfect people. And so what... What the angels in the heavenly realms experience is they see brokenness in humanity and God puts all these people together. He salvages it and then he makes something incredible out of it. The other day I'm sitting at a coffee shop and there's this guy and he has his tablet. But his tablet is sitting on a stand that I know you don't buy on Amazon. And so, you know, the stand had little pieces of wood. It had some bolts. It had these... You know, tire, uh, these uh, bike rack, little hooks. And so I looked at it and I'm like, did you build that? Which was a dumb question, right? But I'm like, did you build that? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I just went in and looked at my shed and saw whatever it is I had. And I built a tablet uh, stand. And I thought, that is like the coolest thing I've ever seen. And yet that's what God does with all the human beings. He grows and he grabs and he salvages us. And he makes us into something, puts us together, right? Not just that. But then he gives full access to himself. And I love the other version because the Christian standard uh, Bible, it says that with boldness and confidence, we have access to God. 
boldness and confidence. And so after that, in verse 14, Paul starts with the sentence, For this reason I kneel before the Father. See, the thing is, is Paul gets it. Paul gets how incredible this is. And some of us, we've been around a very long time, and so what we say is, well, you know, I've been around a while, you know, I've been through everything. You know, maybe I'm not as excited as I used to be. Let me tell you, Paul had been doing it for a long time, and he still got it. He goes on to say, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We talk about God's kingdom and how the church is part of God's kingdom, that it's part of an extended family. So in other words, our family, we think of the church usually as just you and I, and this is our family. But our family are the angels. Our family are everything that is in heaven, everything that God rules over. That's all God's family. We're part of that family. We usually limit it to us, but... There's a lot of things that are named after God. And so our family extends even as far as in heaven. And that is God's kingdom. And so, yeah, we're part of church and we're family. And, you know, I get all excited. I'm in the Bronx. You know, it's far away from El Paso. Over there, I'm in the desert. You know, right? The mountains are brown. You know, the ground is brown. The people are brown. Everything is brown over there, right? Come to New York, you know, it's everything else. You know what I mean? It's not as homogenous. So Paul gets and he's thinking, what we fight for and what we do is a big deal. What we're a part of, what we labor for, what we strive for, what we purify ourselves for. Why we fight our sin. Why we decide to be bold. Why we have those little invitations that we somehow think, if they're cool enough, people are going to come. But for whatever reason, everyone you hand out, every time you get with somebody, every time you build up, it's a big deal. And Paul got it. And he says, for this reason, I kneel. For this reason, I kneel. For this reason, I pray. Not to meet some daily quota for a quiet time. I mean, in in just these 20 verses, in these 20 verses, Paul is trying to get us to get it. He even says that I hope you may be able to comprehend with everybody what is the length, width, height, and depth of God's love. And I love this next sentence because it's almost an oxymoron. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. To know something you can't know. You know, I had somebody ask me out there, you know what I mean? You know, they're like, uh, you're Mexican? I'm like, well, yeah. They're like, but mixed with what? You know, and I'm like, no, no, no problem, man, I like this. You know? And I'm like, well, you know, you know, just, just Mexican, you know? And, uh, you know, people have that, uh, 
You know? Like, oh, really? I wouldn't have guessed. You know, last night there was some, you know, big brother, you know, super tall, comes up to me and he comes up and he starts speaking Spanish to me, you know, and I was like, whoa, that threw me off. Uh, did not, does that make sense? It happens all those, those moments happen all the time. You know, to know that I used to look like Brad Pitt for you guys. But hopefully, and I'm not talking to people that have just started. I'm talking about you guys that have been here for decades. Hopefully for that reason you kneel. So I got a couple of points here. Don't worry, they'll each only take 30 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. And you know, by the way, I have a totally different class if you speak Spanish and you're going to come out to the Latin service. Um, uh, you know, uh, go ahead. Uh, I'd love for you to come. I, I think it's a very uh, neat take on John 13. I just want to put that plug in. You're not going to hear the same lesson if you go to the, to the Spanish service. Amen? All right, point number one. Am I cueing that enough? Yes? Okay. I told her that I was going to give her a sign. Now, and she, I go, well, maybe I'm not going to tell you. Maybe I'll just give you a sign. She goes, okay, what's the sign? And I'm like, well, what if I do this? You know? She never mind. Anyways. All right. Point number one. Don't live small then. Don't live small. If you know all this, don't live your life small. There's a kid on my flag football team. His name is Vance. And let me tell you, this kid is small. He's short. And he, it's, he's not thick. He's actually really, really thin guy. But no one on that team outplays him. He is our best player. Because he doesn't play small. There's some bigger kids on that team that play a lot smaller than that guy. And you know I'm always going to take the side of the short guy. But he plays big. Nothing that you see about him should tell you he should play that big. But I've seen many big guys play small. And yet some of us, we have what is big. And Paul tells us all these incredible things about what you're a part of and what we do and and what this is supposed to be like. Yet we live small. You don't live like what you're a part of. I mean, you're walking around with family. You, know, you ever get proud of an uncle? It's like, man, that's my uncle. You know, everybody has an uncle that's a pro football player, star, or something, right? You know, and you're like, well, I got an uncle, you know, and everybody likes to mention that uncle. You know, but we're a part of something incredible. I get excited. Well, the reason I bring people to church all the time is because I think we got it going on. So I, my wife and I, we bring people to church. I'm like, I need you to meet these people. They're great people. You know, and then I bring them in and I'm like, go ahead, enjoy. <laughs> Fill up. Right? But it's because you understand what you're a part of. And then I got family that extends into heaven and how incredible is that? And then in the book of Hebrews, Jesus says that in the midst of the assembly, because he knows the struggle, that he calls us brothers. 
So to the angels and everybody that surrounds him, he says, these are my brothers. What an honor. But yet we start living small. We have little impact. We have a mundane way of living where we just have accepted the routine. We've accepted the the day to day. And so we stop sharing our faith. We stop building the church because you're busy. Look, everybody's busy, guys. You know, it's funny. Campus students, I talk to them and I'm like, hey, you want to come to church? And they're like, I'm sorry, I'm busy. And I'm always like, oh, you think you're busy? I got three kids, man. I got three kids. You're not busy. I remember I shared my faith with a seven-footer at UTEP. And I remember just watching him and I'm thinking, I got to go get that guy. So I walk up to him, I look at him, you know, and it's definitely one of those eye-to-belly-buttons talk right there, you know what I mean? Just staring down that belly button, intimidating it. But I remember telling him, I'm like, hey, you want to go to church? He's like, no, man, no. No, I don't go to church, man, no. And I'm just like, you know what? I go, hey, man, does your mom know you're like that? Does your mom know you're not doing anything spiritual for yourself? And he's like, oh, what? Yeah. Like, yeah, don't you want to tell your mom you're doing something for, you know, for God, for yourself? And then he's like, all right, give me the invitation. I'll think about it. And I'm like, that's right. Get away from me before I get all crazy on you. I play big when I'm sharing my faith. You know, we live under this... In- Blanket of encouragement. You can't get any better. People love you even when they shouldn't love you. Face it, sometimes you're unlovable. You know, you walk in here with that mug, right? And people are just trying to love up on you and you're like, you know, no. No. Nobody should love you. It's like you want people to beg to love you and then they do it anyways. But aside from that, God loves you and you're part of God's church and part of God's kingdom and, and you've got God's spirit in you and Jesus is talking about you're his brother and all of these things and then you're negative about life. Making yourself small. Just because something didn't go right. Did I hear predicalo? I feel even bigger. So don't live small. Stop living small. You're, you're living like everybody else. They live small. You live big. You live big. Teach your kids to live big. You know, when my kids, they come back from a birthday party, you know, then we had a breakfast together or we go out to eat together and then all of a sudden we come back and then they run out of video game time for whatever reason and then they're all, they're all sad. And I'm like, what? You know, you're sad? Yeah, I didn't get all my video game time. Then you had the day you had. And you want to let that one little thing ruin everything you had. And then you walk into the room and you're like, man, i got to repent too because I did the exact same thing. 
That's what I tell my wife. Why are you mad that I forgot something? Don't you know everything else you got? Why are you going to focus on the one negative thing when you got this? I don't get you, woman. Point number two. Because it's a long flight, so I better move on. Don't make the church small. The church is an incredible miracle. It has incredible knowledge in it. When I studied the Bible, it was two Puerto Rican guys coming up to me. My age, not some minister, not anybody else. And they sat down and they taught me things that blew my mind away. And to think that everybody in the church has this knowledge. And then I remember, actually, the guy that baptized me was my wife's boyfriend at the time. You made a mistake, right? But anyways. No, we're good friends. We're good friends. But anyways. Listen. It was blo- I was blown away at what they knew and how they, were- they could teach me to live. They could teach me to live God's way. And then they dated purely which I didn't think existed. I remember there was a point in the study where it's like, I don't know if I can do what you guys do in your dating relationships. I don't know if I can be pure. But they, they taught me how. You know, they taught me how to keep my mouth shut more. I'm still working on it. But they, 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 they taught me how. And I'd rece- they, they, they taught me how to raise my kids. They, I mean, it's blow away. And they're teaching me how to get to heaven. They're teaching me how to help my kids get to heaven. I mean, it's just constant. It's just, it's overwhelming. It's just, it's like trying to drink out of a water hose, you know, fire hose, right? It's just so, it's coming at you. And yet we make the church small. Yeah, well, somebody didn't hug me. You know, you know they, you know. And the church just isn't what it used to be, you know. And, you know, or... You know, well, yes, because, you know, we're, you know we, 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 we struggled in the past. And, and we're imperfect. The, part of the miracle is our ability to recover regardless of how much we mess it up. So we've got to get over the past. Because after a while, you're taking down the miracle. The fact that we really don't have a shortage of leaders. It's amazing how many of us are leaders that people actually listen to us, but in the world, nobody would have listened to us. Yet God, through the church, through His Spirit, made you something awesome. That God enables us to do incredible things that, so we don't snuff out the power. I mean, what more do we want to hear? And yet we make the church small through pettiness. Just pettiness. Maybe not everybody is as likable, or we don't make. Maybe there's going to be, but what, it's still incredible. It's still incredible. And you should take pride in it. You should take pride in this. Even when you don't like it all the time, but you still take pride. I have a very strong feeling. The church, I viewed, I put this church in the same category as my mom. I can talk about her, but you can't. 
know, my kids, it's funny, the other day, you know, I'm hearing them say something, and then all of a sudden I hear one of my kids say, your mama? And I was like, what? Let me tell you, son, I love you. I love you dearly. But don't ever talk about mom, not even joking. Because Brad Pitt will come out. (laughs) You don't want that. Lastly, keep praying for depth. You got to know why you kneel. You got to know why you kneel. And it's got to be a lot more because that's what you do at 6.30 a.m. So that you don't feel guilty because you didn't do it. That's not a good enough reason to kneel. You know why we kneel? We kneel because God is awesome. Because we're in touch with what the church is. We're in touch with all of this. We kneel because we know how big the mission is and how much we got to work on ourselves. If your prayers are still about God, please help me, please forgive me, please do all of these different things. If, if that is the only reason you kneel and, and God, please help this person. This, let me tell you, after 20-something years of doing it, you're going to need other reasons. And a good prayer is God... Help me to make sure I'm in touch with how awesome this is. Help me to really be used. Don't let me play small, God. Don't let me live small. Help me be more of an impact. Help the churches all over the world to really break through. Whatever. But don't pray small. So hopefully, through the lesson today, you... You want to get in touch. Because that's what, that's what Paul was just trying to do. He was just trying to make sure we're in touch. Do you know how incredible this is? You know, ministers fall guilty of this. You, you, you start thinking that, you know, you, you get into the routine too. It's not like we don't got to break through. You know, it's, it, after a while, it's, you know, you've been around it so long, you do get a little numb. Until I found myself about three years ago wondering, man, do I still believe in all this? And I had to go through a whole reconversion process. And man, let me tell you, when you're able to secure certain things, it's incredible what you can do. And now, my neighbors have gotten baptized. You know, my brother comes to church. You know, his fiance comes to church. You know, I've had this tennis club ministry. Don't judge me for tennis, please, right? You know, this tennis club ministry, but you know, it's, I mean, uh, you know, we've had people get, get, and all of a sudden God's opened the doors and I'm like, man, I've been living small. So hopefully we understand how much power there is and how good we really got it. And hopefully we live up to it. So let's not play small. Let's live big. Let's not make the church small. You know, let's, let's keep it the way that God has it. And let's pray with a lot more depth. Amen. Thank you, guys.